we're human, don't you know, just like you are. Welcome to season two, maybe the difficult second book. In these coming recordings, we're talking leadership in all of its complicated glory. Leadership and dot, dot, dot. Room for a variety of topics and perspectives to consider for your own leadership experience and growth. And to kick us off, I am really delighted to welcome James Horn. with 30 years of corporate experience, along with creating his own business, leading to the UK's number one selling salad dressing, more on that later, it's fair to say he's had a varied career. Fast forward to now, though, and James thrives on coaching and mentoring, so a man after my own heart, empowering individuals and entrepreneurial organizations, I'm going to be saying that word a lot today, to exceed their expectations and recently became a professional implementer of EOS, E-O-S. And again, more on that when we get to the proud plugs at the end. So for now... As I stated, we are talking entrepreneurship, a word I like but hate typing. So grab a cuppa and we'll get started. A warm welcome to you, James. And first things first, let's just define entrepreneurialism. <laughs> oh, good afternoon, Rachel. Um, entrepreneurialism is all about just running your own business and coming up with an idea and making it happen. And I think that's uh, certainly what I've found during my career is uh, best describing that wonderful word um, and, um, you know, starting a business, uh, realizing where you're trying to go to and trying to work it all out um, is is the key. And I think uh, a lot of people have that natural ability uh, to really want to sell something uh, and to and to make it and enjoy running the business. Um, I guess there's lots of people who don't like doing that. But uh, the sector I've been in is very much uh, enjoying running your own businesses uh, and indeed dealing with all the challenges of which uh, there are a huge number. Mm, yeah. So um, I sort to link this back to leadership, I guess. And I know when we had our sort of intro call to, to set this up, we were talking about leadership and entrepreneurialism. And I think in my head, I'm like, OK, so. I have this sort of assumption that leaders should have an element of entrepreneurialism, but I have a problem reconciling that all entrepreneurs should be leaders. Where's your take on either of those? That's that's fascinating, really, because uh, I think to create a business, you do have to be a leader as well, because you need to lead people with uh, towards your vision. And having uh, a vision and being able to express what that vision is to uh, all of the people that are working with you is really important. And that's a that's a leadership skill as much as a being an entrepreneur. Um, I think being an entrepreneur is all about having some great ideas. Um, but funnily enough, uh, as I've gone through my career more recently, I, uh, as you mentioned in your intro, I became a, an EOS uh, implementer, a professional implementer of this most wonderful business system that I use uh, and is used widely throughout the world now. And um, what's really interesting is that you have in many businesses a visionary who's very often the entrepreneur. And then we, you have what we call a, an integrator, who is the person that provides the glue that brings all the people in your organization together. So you could argue to uh, develop you know, your, your, your um, thoughts about you know, a leader versus entrepreneur, that in fact, uh, the integrator very often is the leader and the visionary may well be the focal 
point of the business uh, with all the great ideas flying at 30,000 feet, um, perhaps the person with all the top relationships with key customers. Um, and uh, But the trouble is with a visionary very often, you find that um, they've got all of these ideas. And if you let them just run the business, you'll be lurching from one crisis to the next as you don't actually bring together the core components, the key components that you need in order to run the day-to-day -day business. And so that difference between visionary and uh, entrepreneur and an integrator is really, uh, I think, quite important. Yeah, and it's, I suppose it's that recognising, isn't it, when you get to the sort of size or you get to the sort of stage in creating the business that you need that help, you need that, that maybe that's not a strength of yours, you are the ideas person, you do suffer a little bit from shiny new things syndrome and therefore keeping that focus on that first thing that you know is going to be successful if you put the work into it is really hard because you've just seen something else, you've had another idea. Recognising that, you know, you can't really be the lone ranger and maintain and sustain a long-term successful business proposition. Where do you see that happen? I mean, I, I, I can think of, I can count them quite easily. Actually, there are some small business owners that I know who are really visionary and really determined to make things work. They're integrating for themselves. They're trying to do everything and be everything. So they've got that kind of, what's it called a lone ranger complex that I've got to do it all myself. Yeah. How often do you see that? And and. Um, what do people need to do to get themselves out of that headspace? Well, it's interesting. The number of times I've felt there in my career um, that I'm suddenly doing tasks that actually aren't what I'm good at. <laughs> and, um, you know, I you might, might have created this business and I really enjoy the creation of the business. I love the product. But I'm now spending all my time managing people, managing finance aspects and managing things that perhaps I'm not great at. And that's one of the things that when you're sort of trying to distinguish between your role as an entrepreneur and your role as a leader, you need to maybe take a couple of steps back and then just identify actually what the key roles you are expecting of the entrepreneur and indeed what the key roles you are expecting of the integrator or the leader. So, for example, people, uh, let's, uh, it's a statistic that I make up on the spot, but let's just say over 80% of all your problems in any business is managing people. Uh, and Probably a so, fair assessment. So, <laughs> it might be more than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every bit of research you ever see is always people. Now, managing people uh, is something that some entrepreneurs may not be very good at. Uh, they may not like actually like doing it. And uh, therefore, you need to then have a business structure within your leadership team where you can uh allocate the roles to best suit the personalities within that leadership team. So um, and one of the things that I've often uh, found quite amusing is that, you know, when you have a vision, uh, you assume in your business that everybody else understands that vision. And of course, it doesn't. They don't. And uh, in fact, you know, a lot, there's a lot of uh, research which says that you need to tell someone seven times before they actually get it. Uh, and so yeah. when you tell <laughs> the fourth time, you just have to sort of pinch yourself and say, I've only got three more to go. And then maybe they get it. Um, but actually being able to uh, convey that vision to people 
does require maybe within your management team a structure which is best suited to the qualities that you as the entrepreneur have. And uh, as I say, I I, I can often remember uh, in my early days of running uh, running a business, um, there was a time when um, we actually had a a venture capital uh, interest in the business. But I was still the only person that was qualified to drive the fork, fork truck um, and the uh, fork truck driver. And I remember sitting there saying, uh, somebody knocking on the door and saying, James, there's a lorry that needs unloading. And I had this very expensive man sitting the other side of the desk. And so I had to go dashing out. And I'm so embarrassed by that, looking back on, you know, how stupid that was and how I hadn't organized things. But so, you know, really just creating and understanding what role you've got to perform and indeed making sure that we have a structure within your leadership team that allocates those roles correctly, I think starts to enable you to create other leaders. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that, for me, the most satisfying thing I've done over in all my business over the last 40 plus years is seeing people do things that they didn't think they could ever do. And you do that through obviously training programs and management skills and what have you. And being able to uh, talk to people who said, you know, I never believed I could ever do this job after they're doing it now extremely competently. For me, that is the most satisfying thing about running any business. And uh, that's the thing that uh, I think gives more joy. It's not all about the uh, the, the rewards of uh, having a successful business. It's actually the rewards of working with the people. So, yeah, I think you're right. You're right. And ultimately, you know, your people will make or break your business. Nothing can, can cock up a good business more than not engaging um, and having your people actively disengaged. I mean, let's face it, they can do so much damage should they feel it. It will be intentional, but it will happen through apathy, through um, just just be, feeling maligned, feeling uh, out of place, feeling disengaged, or not understanding the purpose. I think I was reading uh, James Ray. I'm going to hold this up, and for the purpose of the recording, the audio recording, it's a book, by the way. James Ray, great. I'm very grateful you sent me a copy of Traction, um, which is Julia Wickmore, who's the guy behind EOS, isn't he? Um, and yes. there's a piece in there around you know, ask people in an organisation what the organisation's purpose is, and you're quite probably get lots of different answers because it will be their perspective, the purpose through their different lenses or as they've heard it from others or as they understand it. The organizations that get it really right is you'll you'll notice the answers are broadly the same. They know which way they're going. And it takes me back to somebody giving me an analogy around um, two chaps chipping stones in the quarry and you ask one what he's doing he says oh, i'm shipping rocks you know that's what that's what i'm doing and you ask the second he says i'm building a cathedral so one with a massive sense of importance and purpose knowing his little piece in the bigger puzzle and the other one eh, i'm tripping you know i'm chipping rocks and that stuck with me for years i mean i heard it 10 15 years ago and it's just stayed with me on that you know what are you doing? Who who is the end customer? Who's getting what it is from this business? Um, you know, for you when you were actually cast your mind back to, to salad dressing days and you were building that business and you were in your kitchen creating this. Um, the sort of first few people that started working with you when you did start getting off of the forklift or whatever you needed to do to to take yourself out of that sort of more rolling your sleeves up and managing space, 
what did you do to engage them with that overall purpose? I mean, was it was it a building the cathedral moment? We're going to be the best salad dressing in the country, or what was your vision then? What was your purpose? Um, one one of the things that is so important with people is getting your culture, and you can define your culture by identifying really what you know what the core values are of your business, and. In the food business, uh, one of the core values was actually understanding, having an appreciation of really good tasting food. And if you can actually get everybody to be on the same page with that, that was a very much a start as to how we created our food business, which started in the kitchen sink. Uh, we were making a few jars of mustard uh, and um, I, I used to take them down to London and sell them to friends and what have you. Um, and the next thing I knew, I was sitting in the uh, guards van with hundreds of jars as I took them to the car and uh, we started making more and more. And before we knew it, uh, we had created quite a big business. We started, you know, Pizza Express salad dressing, which uh, went on to become the UK's number one salad sa selling salad dressing. And, um, yeah, part of the vision that we gave people was things taste great. Um, and uh, that was the real essence of how we managed to start to get people to you know, hoping, helping us move in the right direction with uh, how that business grew. And we ended up with producing hundreds, hundreds of products. Um, what really is fascinating in that area is actually different people have different tastes, of course. <laughs> otherwise, we'd all be eating the same food. Yes. But, um, so we ended up having, you know, speciality people who, you know, could detect salt, could detect uh, rancidity and oil and so on. So, uh, again, this was actually a management process as well to actually identify who these people were, because some of them were very uh, reluctant to come forward necessarily, but actually had an extremely uh, powerful palate. So finding out those, uh, you know, innate uh, talents that individuals have within your team is really important and it, and it can often come out of the blue <laughs> and I'm sure you know you say very often it you know it's the person that who's the quietest in the room is quite often got the best uh, point of view on a particular issue and so you know that ability to uh, reflect your core values uh, and ensure that people can see where you're going and indeed, one of the things through EOS that we do is, you know, when we're identifying um, the, their vision as to the direction you're going, identification of what those core values are is, is really vital. And we mm. have a very simple process when we start to then look at the people within your organization. And I run this system in our own company and have done for four years. So I know it works. So this is uh, not something that is just uh, reading out of a textbook and, you know, Gina Wickman, who created uh, EOS and wrote Traction and many other books, um, was was absolutely clear that, you know, with uh, getting everybody to reflect your core values, and as you say, everybody pointing in the same direction. So if you're cutting stones, you're not, you're all making a cathedral, not just chipping <laughs> stones, yeah. but everybody understanding those core values and then just looking at your people and asking yourself, do they meet? that core value yes or plus minus or no 
And going down, then let's just say you identify three, four, five core values, and you put all your people down in a little matrix. So you actually just start ticking and identifying whether they meet those values. Uh, what we add on to that is, do they get it? Do they want it? And do they have the capacity to be able to do it? Uh, and obviously, you have to tick those boxes. Very often, you find that people do get it, but they may not want it. Yeah. Uh, therefore, you do have to ask that question, you know, uh, are they the right people? Because the central central thing we do around um, vision and people is actually identify whether the right people in the right seats. Mm. Yeah. And it's quite often you find that your most loyal people, some of them, they may reflect the core values, but they may not be in the right seat. But worse still, what we quite often find is that there are people within your organization that um, are the right, uh, that, that they are in the right seat, but they are the wrong people. In other words, they don't reflect your core values. And what they're actually doing is chipping away at your culture within the team and undermining where you go. And so uh, we've done this in our own businesses and started to get everybody onto the same page. So you know you're all rowing in the right, you know, in the right direction. Yeah, so well, that's, that's, that's a win-win, much. isn't it? I mean, that's a win-win for the organisation because you know the, the teams, the employees, the partners, the, the whatever you call your colleagues are sharing in the values of the organization they they, they feel it they that to them it's is very aligned it's very and that's very engaging isn't it that's very motivating um but also for the individuals will want to join an organization that shares their values or demonstrates their values so it's attractive as well as retentive isn't it that's that's the lovely thing about it and i suppose you're right when you get those you know, when you have maybe the right people with the right skills but they don't share the values so they could do a great job but they're choosing maybe not to just because their heart's not in it, their head's not in it. They just don't really want to be there doing that thing right now. That can be quite insidious, can't it? And it can be sometimes quite um, quite low key and quite difficult to put your finger on to start with. It's, it's hard to notice until you kind of really get behind the, the nuts and bolts of it and spot it. I'm just, something has just, just popped into my head actually. And I've, I've been reminded of um, thinking about, I know we're talking about entrepreneurs becoming leaders. Um, but there's also this this piece where leaders become entrepreneurs in some ways. So they've been maybe in a leadership position in a certain organization. They've been promoted through. They may have been innovative and creative in some ways within that space. But ultimately, a lot of the things that they've been doing have been um, you know, a collaborative effort and all that kind of stuff within their organization. They then leave that organization and launch a business. They've had an idea. They're, they're launching something. So they are showing that level of, of entrepreneurialism. But it's not a strong lots of ideas version of entrepreneurialism, of, of that creativity and innovation. They're not the, the Elon Musk who's doing something new every every two years. It's, it's something else again. When they get, I'm just, I'm reminded of this kind of double S curve of when your product's gone so far, you're like, okay, so now what? Because you kind of got to keep, is it going to be completely forever? No product really, we could, could say last entirely forever. But well, they would argue that Marmite's close. Um, but thinking of the next thing, how do you keep up with the markets? How do you keep on top? How do you stay ahead or at least to be relevant and to be successful? If you don't have that creative spirit and that innovative spirit, do all leaders have to have that? Or is that something they, they then, like you would outsource your integration, do you outsource your visionaries? Well, that, that's a really interesting point because one of the things you have to embrace when you've 
talked about, you know, what the core values of the organization is actually where is the organization trying to get to? Because if you don't have, for example, say a 10 year target as to where you're trying to build this business to, you know, your staff don't understand where you're going. So one of the things, again, that we, we work on uh, very much is identifying what your 10 year target is. What's your three year picture and what's your one year plan? So in other words, uh, if you want to uh, m- increase your business by a factor of 10 in 10 years time, you know, what have you got to be doing in three years time to be able to reflect that and indeed paint a picture to people as to how that's actually going to look. So, for example, you might, well, if you're uh, going to double or treble the size of the business in three years time, you might well then have to have different offices, for example. You might well have to have more staff. You might have to have a broader organization. And it's really vital, I think, to paint the picture as to where you're trying to get to and indeed ensure that those stepping stones then are logical and achievable in order to reach that long-term target. And very often you'll go into and talk in a, to an organization and they won't have any idea what their long-term target is. So they might say, well, I want to sell it eventually, that sort of comment. But sell it for what and when and how big and so on. And uh, you know, actually getting people to understand what it is and then being able to convey that to the rest of the organization, that then drags you into the next stage of being able to achieve your, your real vision for that organization. And that requires both entrepreneurial skills and leadership skills to be able to deliver and manage that process. And one of the things you said, which I find and have found over the years really interesting, is we've employed uh, a number of people who have come out of the armed forces. And, of course, very often in the armed forces, you get real true leadership uh, taught in a very different sort of uh, specter of uh, activity. But um, quite a number of uh, armed forces personnel have been really, really good at managing people, but then embracing that vision. Now, whether they are entrepreneurial very much depends on the individual themselves, but you know, the ability to think uh, laterally and to you know, effectively have the helicopter vision of actually looking down on what you're doing. Um, a lot of uh, army personnel I've found have been really good at that yeah. uh, and but happened to go into the forces at an earlier st- stage of their career, but actually are very, very good at running businesses. And uh, only very recently, I was working with one uh, who uh, was exceptional. Um, so it is quite interesting to see this <clears throat> career path that uh, very often people take uh, before they become what you might even refer to as entrepreneurial. And it's funny, isn't it? You just really beautifully demonstrated how you cannot ever really assume anything about anyone. Um, yeah. You could assume that somebody coming out of the military has been very used to um, working in a very structured way and doing as they're told, because in, at a lot of levels in that in that organization, there is an element of you do as you're told and the thinking is happening elsewhere in some ways and in some areas, depending on your level, I guess, and depending on the level of you know command maybe that you've had or thinking that you've had to do but it kind of struck me while you were talking about we've been looking at entrepreneurialism on quite a grand level at the one that drives everything the one that creates the organization 
actually it appears doesn't it in every little level through because ultimately when you have this vision and everybody gets it everybody knows where they're going you've then got the kind of entrepreneurial creativity and innovation that comes from how you do it and how you do all the different bits all how all the different cogs function so you'll have someone in it that has a great idea about some software you could use and goes out and finds something new and you'll have somebody in i don't know hr that has a great idea about how to engage and put some uh, ideas out to staff or it may actually be somebody who's doing something really quite mundane and basic that has a spark of an idea and puts it in the suggestion box if there's one such a thing exists and so it can happen at any point can't it and I'm thinking about the role of a leader and and the role of the visionary to encourage that style of thinking from across the whole organization so it's not all on them to come up with every answer to come up with every new idea actually it's encouraging a culture of of creativity beyond that what does that look like in the structures that you've been involved with so far well it's quite interesting because virtually every level of any business each manager of whatever level is probably dealing with 136 issues at any one time and certainly through (laughs) eos uh, that's how we've uh, sort of started to segment uh, how people deal with those issues And what we found is that by dividing the business uh, or your uh, organization into six key components, uh, which are vision, people, data, process issues, and what we call traction, uh, almost every single one of those 136 issues will fall into the root cause of one of those six key components. And so the management of issues is actually how you evolve a effective and fast moving business. And that ability to be able to handle issues, uh, identify what the issues are, discuss them and solve, that's something we call IDS, is really effective because um, what we tend to find is that with issues, uh, people will very often identify an issue, but it's actually not the real issue. So we have a process that uh, we deploy where um, you will sit and you will every every time you've got an issue, you will put it onto the issues list. You then identify what are the most important issues on that list. Uh, so you go for the first, second and third. You'll then discuss whether that issue on the issues list is actually the real issue that you're dealing with. You very often find there's probably half a dozen other issues on your issues list that are actually all part of the same problem. Uh, and then you spend time identifying it, discussing it, and then above all, uh, coming up with a resolution. And it's that discipline. And one of the things that, you know, we, we you know we do three things really with EOS is we provide, we ensure that you get your vision so everybody actually understands where you're trying to get to and how you're going to get there. We instill what we call traction by uh, implementing accountability and discipline to ensure that, again, people are executing that vision and getting it on the ground. And then, of course, making a business healthy. Now, so much effort has, of course, gone into, uh, quite rightly, mental health at work, um, but actually working healthily is vitally important. And I'm sure in the past, we really didn't recognize this. The idea of working 18 hours a day seemed to be cool. Uh, you know, that was actually what, what people were being expected to do. Of course, that's not cool. And you don't need to do it like that. 
Um, so one of the things that we, we like to see is open and honest organizations. And when one talks about open, being open and honest, it's actually having the courage and, in, and uh, encouraging your staff to be able to say, well, look, this is an issue. We need to deal with it. Often people are frightened of uh, actually conveying and uh, suggesting they've got a genuine issue that they need to deal with. So the, one of the very much uh, central parts of EOS is that definition of issues and then the structure within the week and within your meeting structures as to how you deal with those. So um, it is a fascinating process because, as I said uh, earlier, everybody's got hundreds of issues. And it's a question of actually bringing them down to the ground and actually trying to resolve them. Yeah, and I think I, one thing that, that I, I thought about asking you actually, just because it's it's something I've fallen prey to in the early days of my own business, and I do know entrepreneurs that have fallen into the same let's call it a trap, I guess. Um, particularly with startups, particularly something new, you put a lot of energy, blood, sweat, and tears quite often, literally tears into that business, into that um, that, that getting things up and running. But ultimately, you recognize eventually that there's a difference between plugging away till something works and flogging the dead horse. Now, that's at the point where we use that horrible word pivot um, or adjust or evolve or whatever it happens to look like. And I'm thinking of um, actually it takes me back to the examples of things like Blockbuster. You know, they had opportunities, they had chances to evolve and do something different, but they carried on flogging the dead horse and by lo and behold, they went out of business. So big example. But I think there's a lot of little startups that probably fall into that trap of being so passionate, so in love with the thing that they've created. It's their baby. It's their their life for such a long time to get up and running. But either the market just isn't there. Consumers aren't getting it. Something's going wrong. Something's just not working in some way. Or ultimately, the worst thing is, it's not a viable business proposition. It's not a sustainable business. Have you come across that? And then obviously, I think in my head, I'm thinking, well, that's a really, there's a job for coaching. <laughs> there's a job for helping that person come to grips and then do something about it in a healthy way, in a, in a, in a way that leaves them mentally stable. Um, what's your experience of that? And I suppose it might be a slightly quirky thing for the EOS model to deal with, but ultimately... I think for anyone that's in that coaching and mentoring space, it must be something you come across every now and again. Absolutely. I mean, we all know that the vast number of entrepreneurial startup businesses will fail within the first three years of their um, existence. And that failure is very, is often for a, a multitude of reasons. And, you know, clearly being in a business sort of selling typewriters to youngsters nowadays would clearly not work. Um, and uh, yeah, e e EOS. quirky ones maybe, but not that many, no. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Well, yeah, and EOS works in virtually any business that is entrepreneurial, and our sweet spot is entrepreneurial businesses employing between 10 and uh, 250 people. So it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're in the restaurant business or whether you're producing widgets or, you know, it, it, there's an enormous spectrum of businesses where, where it actually works. Uh, clearly, if the business is not selling the right product into the right market, uh, we've got a you, your one's got a problem. And of course, you know, it doesn't take long to identify that. Uh, primarily, you run out of sales, you're not going to sell it, sell anything. So you can't make anything. But um, what we tend to find uh, in many, many businesses is that it is actually the structure of the organization, which is actually 
uh, preventing it achieve the success it can, uh, it can. So you could have a wonderful sales department and you could have a, a competent operations department. But if you've got an incompetent finance department who aren't actually looking after the money of all the efforts that the sales and the ops have been doing, um, then your business won't work. And of course, that's exactly the same if you don't have a good sales team, but you've got a good ops team and a good finance team, you still won't work. So one of the things that we do, and we work very closely with the, with the leadership team, is to identify what are the key roles of and what are you expecting within that structure. We do not work necessarily identify people within that process. So you're identifying roles. And getting those roles and responsibilities clearly defined at a very, very early stage is then key. And sometimes what we tend to find is that actually you've got people duplicating roles. Uh, so you've got uh, a, a team which is particularly strong in one area, but less strong in others. And therefore, part of that process is making you 100 percent strong in every aspect of your business. And um, so, you know, that's part of the process. Very few great ideas um, fail because they are just completely wrong. Uh, that's usually that's quite unusual. Uh, most of them fail because they run out of money. Um, that's normally the issue, which is cash flow and uh, being incorrectly funded. And that's or uh, inappropriately funded or unable to generate those funds. But again, one of the things that uh, is, is central to any entrepreneur is actually having a good understanding as to how you're going to finance what you're going to do. <laughs> and I know in my own experience of running our own food business, we grew and grew. And of course, providing the major multiples who uh, like to pay you in the most delayed fashion as they can possibly. 90 days at thrive. least, if not more. Yeah. <laughs> They 90 plus them out. Two. I mean, I, I remember. remember the phrase of 90 plus two. Why, why the plus two? Come on, that, that's just that's just being stingy. Well, frankly. indeed. <laughs> but I remember we, we would be supplying in our 10th shipment into a multiple before we got paid for the first one. Uh, you know, and it's extraordinary how well, on faith, often they, they were actually um, expecting us to be their bank. Uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, you're a relatively small organization in compared to them. Uh, but, you know, that's that's very much the issue. And some great businesses just simply run out of cash. Uh, but again, then uh, maybe taking a couple of steps back and saying, well, do I actually want to be a 10 million pound business with a 25 percent margin or do I want to be a 100 million pound business with a 2.5 percent margin? Yeah, it, it's all a question of scale. And then actually sitting back and saying, well, what do you want to be? And I mentioned, you know, being a healthy business, uh, it's not healthy. And I, I, I'm sure many entrepreneurs can relate to it. But working 18 hours a day is not healthy. Uh, yes, of course, you can do it for a while. And, and in very often you have to do it in order to make the thing actually the business take off. But the art is to then have a structure that creates a healthy business. And one of the other things which I think a lot of people often need reminding is that maybe you create a business with an objective one day of selling it, but you've got to remember you've got to enjoy the journey to <laughs> achieving that objective. And if you're not enjoying that journey, yeah. you're going to waste n number of years of your life being pretty miserable or fed up or irritated with uh, you know frustration not being able to achieve your goal. So it's absolutely essential to enjoy the journey. And if that means maybe <clears throat> dialing back your ambition a little bit to ensure that your business is cost effective, well run, well structured, 
then that's very much what an entrepreneur should be thinking about doing. And that's where the uh, relationship between the entrepreneur and, say, the leader, if that is a separate, um, two separate entities, is really important. Mm -hmm. And being more pragmatic is, uh, I think, a vital thing. And, of course, very often an entrepreneur is not pragmatic because (laughs) they're shooting for the sky. And I was just going to say, we have these, sounds like there's this sort of um, almost like a handbook of afflictions that true entrepreneurs probably do suffer from. One of them being that overexcitement, sometimes that dogged determination to make something work regardless, maybe the inability to separate themselves from the role, from the, the business, so that they are their business as opposed to they're the person creating and running the business. Um, but that sense of identity is so intertwined with it that, that it's messy that potential lack of trust maybe and I, th- I do see that actually a lot with not just entrepreneurs but leaders in general where they don't want to let go um and and trust enough in others to make things happen for again their baby they don't want to hand their baby over to somebody else and yet they know that they're failing said baby because they can't do everything and be everything for everyone so what else would you add to that list that I think any entrepreneurs listening to this which I hope there'll be a few or budding entrepreneurs need to just watch out for, have that little bit of self-awareness. We think about these mental filters that we all have that stop us being overwhelmed with all the information in the world. Let's open a few of them up and say, just look out for these. Any more that you kind of get actually really common, here's one to look out for, or here's a couple to keep an eye out for. Um, yeah, well, I mean, one of the, I, I, we have this most wonderful <laughs> book, How to Be a Great Boss, and it's written by Gina Whitman, who created EOS. And... It is a fantastic book about explaining the difference between a visionary and an an, uh, integrator Mm. and getting you as a person to really start to understand what you're good at uh, and recognizing both your strengths and indeed, and possibly more importantly, your weaknesses to try and ensure that then you have a team structure that actually everybody's good at what they're doing. And that sounds so simple, but actually running a business is incredibly simple. It's only us who make it complicated. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah, that's <laughs> one of the joys uh, when you've done it a few times. You begin to realise that actually it's not not as complicated as people would like to make out. Of course, you know some of the uh, more recent technology driven businesses. Uh, you know, we have a we have a, an internet based business um, have become much more complex as suddenly the whole map of where you're going can change as a result mm. of you know, for example, the implications of AI are, are astonishing uh, on virtually every business that exists. But, you know, the, yes, there can be step changes. However, the, the principles of running a business are remarkably simple. And um, one of the things that EOS and there are other systems out there, but having one operating system to run your business really does make it much more simple. And our whole philosophy is less is more. And when you everything is important, nothing is important. So uh, that's uh, and getting across that un- understanding mm. that actually less is more. So one of again the, the key things that we do within an organisation is we will help people identify what we call their key rocks. 
And a rock is basically what is what is it that they've got to achieve in the next 90 days? So we divide the world into uh, a 90 day world. So there's four quarters in a year because we tend to find that most organizations and most people need to come up for air every 90 days. Otherwise, they've kind of forgotten where on earth they're going. And yes, we talk about our business plan for the year and this is how it's going to be. And you think to yourself in the start of the year, well, I've got plenty of time to catch up. Well, actually, you haven't. Uh, if you, you get off to a bad start, it will then take you two months to perhaps catch up to where you need to be. So you're into actually quarter two before you know where you are. <laughs> so what we do is we work very much into a 90 day world, having some key rocks, which are really important that you do. And then the process the behind that is we simply every week in a weekly meeting, identify whether you're on target or off target. And if you're off target, we said that's called an issue. So you have an issue. So what do we need to address to actually bring you back onto target? And this, as I said earlier, it's all about dealing with the 136 issues that you're grappling with at any one time to ensure that you can actually manage that process. So yeah, running a business is actually quite simple. It's just a question of having a system that is in place to ensure that you can keep it simple. Yeah, I, I, I get that. This is funny, you reminded me of somebody, there's a, I can't remember who said it. It was a TED talk I watched a little while ago, and I'm I'm annoyed at myself because I shared it with some learners not so long ago. Um, and it's a chap that's talking about leadership, just literally his his view on leadership, his description of it is, and he has two rules. And one is, it's not about you, and the second is, it's all about you. <laughs> it sounds really conflicting, but at the same time, it is about the people you have around you. It is about the teams. It is about your customers, your stakeholders, the environment. It's about everything. But at the same time, if you don't know yourself then you're going to be in trouble because you're going to miss things. You'll have these massive blind spots. And when I was thinking about blind spots, it took my brain somewhere else around. Actually, there are some entrepreneurs and leaders that I've met and worked with in the past um, where their ego massively got in the way. And on two levels, actually, there was a, a, a lack of it, which was leading to a lack of self-esteem and confidence. And therefore they weren't putting themselves out there. They had a great idea, but they didn't think it was good enough. They never ever thought it was good enough and therefore didn't talk it up to anybody that probably should have heard about it. And then the flip side of that, it's amazing. I'm brilliant. It can't go wrong. Um, sort of the damaging, what I would arguably say slightly the more damaging potentially version of ego, but sometimes they blag it and get away with it. So yeah, I mean, you talk, well, you don't, but I'm looking on the EOS website, actually, you're talking about humility and, and, and that's the humbleness in leadership and entrepreneurialism that is a healthy level of being aware that you can't be all things to all people and therefore keeping that ego in check, but making sure it's healthy enough to still get you to go out there and feel confident about what you're putting into the world. So roundabout way, long question, very, very rambly. What's your experience of managing both ends of the ego spectrum? Um, what's my experience of, of, of what? Uh, could you just repeat that? Sorry. Helping people work through that ego spectrum. Yeah. One, maybe one example from like the, the difficult, what I would call the really difficult end so that I don't want to hear it. Possibly not very easy to coach end of that spectrum through to the lack of um, confidence, self-esteem, belief in themselves. Sure. Um Believe it or not, I'm going to answer it very simply. Uh, data. Yeah. Now, you will find that most entrepreneurial businesses, egos get in the way and subjective judgments about how that business is being forming get in the way. And people say, well, we're doing this and we're doing that. And I'm pretty sure we're doing this. And I think we're doing that. 
pretty sure. One of the <laughs> one of the things that uh, and you know entrepreneurs are the world's worst, and uh, quite often uh, if you when you're an entrepreneur, you're so committed to your your business and you're so convinced it's going to uh, succeed, and you can be very convincing, uh, and indeed you can be very successful, uh, but. The art of running a successful entrepreneurial business is understanding your data, accurate data. And one of the things that we introduce is something we call a scorecard, which are five to 15 key metrics that you will have in order to understand where the business is going. That's the kind of the heartbeat of the business. Uh, a a PL, profit and loss account, is actually historical. You know, you can't change the past. It's accounting. Uh, but what we can do is change how it's going. And we uh, have and we run in our own business a scorecard that monitors those key metrics. So every week uh, we will look at that scorecard. We will have a, a target and we'll have uh, obviously the actual as to where we are. And you will very quickly see over, a, say, a 13 week, because we divide the, the year into quarters over a 13 week period, you can start to see a trend as to whether one of those metrics is going AWOL, as it were. And what then you have to then quickly do is to identify what's going wrong and put it right. And having that pulse, that heartbeat of the business and understanding exactly where it is, removing all the subjective nonsense that always gets thrown in the way. Well, but if we did this and but if we did that, all that sort of stuff. Uh, these are the actual numbers. This is actually what's going on. And that then starts to, again, bring an entrepreneur down to earth. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I recall myself thinking, gosh, this business is going brilliantly well. Uh, and I was really happy with a deal that we've done here, a deal we've done there. But when you actually sat, stood back and actually looked at the real mm -hmm. numbers, yeah. you know, maybe you've got a problem and you need to deal with that problem. Uh, and you need to be, uh, as I say, have that finger on the pulse right away to be able to react quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and data, I think, is the greatest way of actually bringing uh, any uh, highly inflated ego down <laughs> to earth fairly quickly with a horrible bump at times. Um, but that actually, at the end of the day, uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs may not necessarily be financial wizards. They may not have a finance background, but they may be brilliant at creating ideas. And it's that ability to have, again, part of the roles within your leadership team is to have a strong finance, uh, financial controller, finance director or whatever um, to, again, keep you in check. And certainly in my food business, I had a most wonderful guy who was my right hand man and really then made this all the money side of it happen, as I referred to earlier. You know, you can be great at producing wonderful tasting products. You uh, can be great at selling them. But if you don't look after the money, uh, then, of course, uh, it's all for, for nothing. And um, so that's the key. Yeah. And I think ultimately, even if you're a small business, literally just setting up or a solopreneur, you know, ultimately having a good bookkeeper slash accountant, and, and there is a difference between the two, or a bookkeeper that's very helpful in helping you understand your numbers and, and get behind them and start forecasting a little bit. And so I'm very lucky, actually, my, she calls herself a bookkeeper, but she was uh, a sort of VA type person before she became that, before she qualified. She's now a qualified accountant. So she's now looking at helping forecast and get me behind my numbers. It's really interesting to get into that headspace. I and mean, mine's a lifestyle business. It's not one I want to sell on later, later down the line. It's literally just just to keep things going and, and then the rest of it's supplement what I, I don't do with my my other job what I call my proper job um but ultimately you know it's a really good 
idea to have that person in your corner, whether it's like you say, a, a financial advisor or a, um, a you know, chief financial officer, depending on the size of your, your organization. The other end of that spectrum, though, those that are struggling to believe in what they've got when everyone else is saying it's brilliant. And that 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 self-belief, that that sense, they're kind of maybe suffering from something like imposter syndrome or um, inferiority complex, that kind of thing. I mean, I know in coaching, I come across it a lot in leaders who are in employment, but I think it sometimes also happens with people who are starting a new business, maybe because they've been made redundant or similar and are trying to set up on their own because they think that's the way to go. And it could well be, but that level of confidence is, is, isn't where it should be. Absolutely. I, I have a very simple philosophy in life. If you believe you could do something, you will. And if you don't believe it, oh, you, you won't. I can remember when we were developing our food business and I've done it in other businesses as well, where I had moments of thinking, you know, this is not going to work. And I remember you know, not sleeping well and all of that sort of stuff. But if you have uh, within your team, and this is when a leadership team, even it could be just two people or, or more, um, but if within your team you have that, conviction that you believe that your product and your business is going to be successful you almost certainly will be successful uh, so quite honestly a lack of belief uh, is probably a good idea to get out because you're probably in the wrong business if you don't believe in it yeah. uh, and I think you know that that goes back to what I was saying earlier about you know fitting your core values do you get it do you want it and do you have the capacity to be able to do it uh, you know if you if you aren't convinced by what you're doing that means you probably don't want it so uh, therefore yeah. you, know, you you probably don't fit in then um yeah, yeah it's probably a very good idea to think very hard as to whether you want to continue to sink money into it Indeed. so yeah, it's all about self-belief uh it really is it's all about self-belief and it does it does sound very much like that um there's a simplified version of the japanese principle of ikigai um ikigai is much bigger it's much more complex than people say with that little round uh, infographic that you get was you know is it does the world want it is it something you love are you great at it and does it make you money beautiful venn diagram and in the middle that's your sweet spot if you can tick all of the say yes to all of those things brilliant that's great but ultimately if your heart's not in it and you don't want to do it like you say you're not likely to put the effort in to make it happen um and that goes for jobs as well as leadership as well as entrepreneurialism as well as Absolutely. you know startups so it's quite an interesting one well, um i'm really yeah, it applies to everything because I love the way uh, Winston Churchill said, I'm an optimist. I don't think there's much point in being anything else. <laughs> and uh, I, I, think, I think that really sums it up uh, in many ways. But of course, you know, you've got to believe in what you're doing. Yeah, I had a uh, when, I, when I had a Twitter account, I don't have it anymore. I think my tagline was hopeless optimist. I'll be better at it soon. <laughs> so, um, I'm really conscious of where we are on time, and there's a couple of things I want to do. A, a bit more of a plug about EOS, although we have been talking about it all the way through, which is really great because it's brought some really good examples to life. But also, one bit of info, one bit of advice you would give to somebody who is thinking of starting a business or is already an entrepreneur moving more into the leadership space. So they've got to a point where they're starting to employ, they're starting to have teams, they're starting to have to lead more than just themselves. What would be your biggest piece of advice for other than coming to speak to you about EOS? Um, that's a, that's a cop-out. You're not allowed to do that one. Um, so other than that, what would be the one piece of advice you would give them? Um, every business and every team 
uh, every individual will hit the ceiling from time to time. And it is that skill of being able to break through the ceiling so that you can go to the next level, whether you're that as an individual, as a team, or as a business. And the art of doing that is either by looking at the certain leadership skills that you have, and we have, uh, EOS has a, a mechanism by which we can do it. I'm not trying to sell EOS. But, okay, you can do uh, your plug in a minute. <laughs> only, the only thing I would say about uh, EOS is that uh, had I known about it 40 years ago or 35 years ago, uh, I would have been much more successful uh, with all our businesses uh, because by bringing in an operating system that actually works for your company, uh, your organization, and having one system – really, really changes the way it, it, your business works. But every business and every everybody will hit the ceiling. And it is that skill to identify that you are hitting the ceiling. And that's normally down to key frustrations like people, lack of growth, lack of profit, lack of control, um, you know, just trying everything and nothing working. When you feel you're in that position, that is the time then to actually take advice. Very often, one of the things I always uh, enjoy having is a non-executive director who's able to come in and help you look at the business. And what we refer to as working on the business rather than working in the business is really, really important. So you have to take a couple of steps back uh, and very often an external assistant, not consultant necessarily, because consultants can often get a very bad reputation for you know taking lots of money and telling you all about what you're actually doing and not what you need to do. Uh, and that's something that uh, is I, I've seen far too many times, which is the reason why I love uh, uh, what the, the work that Gina Whitman has done because he was a he is a lifelong entrepreneur and he very simply works out he said there's no magic pills there's no silver bullets in what we do and what one does it through eos or any other operating system it is simply having that discipline and that structure in your organization to ensure that you can then move forward to the next level Brilliant. so that's my advice good <laughs> There's a tiny plug for EOS in there. But if people want to find out more about EOS or get a copy of Traction, which I assume is available on Amazon and all good book providers somewhere, is, um, along with Gino's other books, um, how would they get in touch with you? What are your links? And we'll put them in the show notes anyway, so we've got something written as well. Um, but what would be the best way to get hold The best way to get in touch with me is to look at my, uh, my website, uh, Jane and uh, have a look at uh, or send me an email james-horn at eosworldwide.com or go on to uh, eosworldwide.com uh, forward slash uh, James Horn uh, and uh, you can see a little bit about what uh, what I am and what I've done and my background and whether I can help you and what we do is we have a we'll give you a 90 minute free discussion we'll take you through EOS our principle is to, you know, be humble, uh, you know, and we always about help first is one of our core values. Do the right thing is another uh, and so on. So we're not here to try and sell you a system. We will talk to you about how EOS works, uh, how it might fit for your organization. Equally, we can identify whether it doesn't. So, uh, you know, we've gone and you've got, also got to decide whether you actually like the person that's going to be teaching you and helping you <laughs> and coaching you through that process. So that's also vital. Absolutely. 
So yeah. contacting I, me through eosworldwide.com is uh, the best way to get hold of me. Brilliant. And I do love that that final note around you know, being coached through something because it's obviously that's something that plays direct to my playbook is, is the power of coaching and mentoring and what it can do. Um, and enabling, like I say, with the work you do with people that they're using this process, they're using a system. And there's an awful lot, there's a lot of giveaways in here. I've got to say, it's almost like a handbook in itself. Absolutely. But to have somebody holding your hand and, and helping you and cheerleading and helping and pointing out where maybe you're interpreting things in the way that isn't quite how it was intended or it, it seems to suit you at the time but actually there's a different way to look at it it's lovely to have that that kind of extra set of eyes and ears and thinking partner um to help you through that so a really really great approach thank you so much james this has been an absolute joy i'm some so many nuggets of wisdom and helpful stuff in there so i do hope that people will enjoy this one if you do know when you do you will enjoy it when you enjoy this to do hit subscribe there is a whole season coming um on leadership and this is just the first of many so thank you again james and thank um, you, to all listening thank you for your time